Hello again. I, don't, my, I hope you like that little rendition. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Love the bass line to it. That's Lauren Daigle. Uh, for those watching at home, I didn't record it for copyright reasons, actually. Um, but uh, if you want to listen to it, YouTube, Lauren Daigle, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, her version of that. I'd love you to have your Bible open. Uh, if you grab your Bibles, I'd love you to have your Bible open to Isaiah chapter 7. So Isaiah 7, uh, that is where we'll spend a bit of time there and then we'll go across to Matthew chapter 1. And that was the, the second reading we had um, that Ruth read to us. So Isaiah 7, if you've got it on your phone, get your phone out, or your Bible, even better. Um, <laughs> that'll be great. And there's also an outline there you can follow along in your bulletins. So get that out too. I've now lost my outline, wherever it's gone. All right. And we'll have a Q&A at the end and uh, any questions or any comments we might have, words of encouragement. How about I pray and ask God to help us with his word today? We'll need to concentrate. Uh, some of it will be, um, yeah, you'll need to be switched on. Bit of a warning. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. We thank you that when we read the Bible, Lord God, uh, it's not just 66 random books. It is your word and put together and shaped together so it makes sense. And we thank you so much of how much we learn about Jesus because we see your promises fulfilled in the Old Testament. Amen. That's the thing about today too. We're gonna, you might see this big book in front of you and there's your Bible and you've got 66 books and they're just, they seem, sometimes they don't seem very related at all. You might be wondering about that. Well, the truth is they are all related together um, and they all make sense. And today we'll see how God's promises uh, about the coming Christ, God's King, King Jesus, are fulfilled when Jesus comes. It's really, really good. And it's very helpful, I think, because it, it reminds us of how good God's word is to us. Okay, let me tell you about JP. Uh, it's not his real name, a little bit of an uh, acronym. But JP is 13 years old. Uh, he, well, he looked like a man, to be honest. He looked like a man and he was shaving. His Movember efforts would leave the most testosterone-charged PE teacher feeling like a five-year-old. His voice was deeper than mine. He was six foot four and weighed in about 110 kilograms. He was a big boy. He was my not-so-secret weapon in my 13A's rugby side I coached back in the mid-1990s. See, JP was one of those kids that every coach wanted on their side. Uh, opponents feared him. Teammates loved him. Actually, teammates feared him as well, but that's another matter. Um, with him in the side, we won. It's huge. The contest was a mismatch too. Um, he'd run through opposition defences like he was swatting away flies. Whew. Off they went. You see, that was the thing about JP. Uh, sure, it was great to have him in our side, with us, so to speak. But he wasn't just with us, he was for us. Now, at Christmas time, we sing, we read, uh, for Matthew chapter 1, we read, and Isaiah 7, we read Emmanuel, God, with us. It's the good news of Christmas, isn't it? The good news of Christmas, God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. The truth is, though, what we tend to do, we, we often jump to this good news of Christmas without giving proper attention to God with us as bad news. Hang on, didn't you just say it was good news? 
How could God with us be bad news? Well, we'll see. Let me just say at this point, though, that if we blunt the mercy of the gospel and the meaningfulness of our thankfulness to God, uh, if we... if we, so this, this point again, sorry, uh, that, that we blunt the mercy of the gospel and the meaningfulness of our thankfulness to God if we neglect the bad news and just focus on the good news. That's what we do. Okay, so how is Emmanuel, God with us, bad news? Well, go back to our Old Testaments, okay? Going back quite some time. The promise of God with us could be deadly, The coming of a holy God didn't mean life for sinful rebels. It actually meant death. And there's a a number of really good accounts we could go to. Um, There's a a classic one in in Leviticus 10. There's two guys called Nadab and Abihu. Great baby names if you're thinking that one day. Um, And then Uzar as well. Uzar in 2 Samuel 6. That's a a great name too. Um, And then even more broadly, there's the Israelite exiles See, the presence of a holy God wasn't a comforting thing. It was, a bit, it was scary. It would strike fear into the hearts of God's people. And truth is, more often than not, God's presence meant God's judgment. So Isaiah 7 is a case in point. We're going to have a look at Isaiah 7 now. So have it open in front of you. Let's just think about the background first of all. A little of the background to that well-known part of Scripture, often read at Christmas time, Isaiah 7 verse 14. Have a look at it with me. And it's quoted in one, uh, Matthew one twenty three. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now what do we do when we see a therefore? Well, we've got to ask, what's the therefore therefore? Okay, you get that last, isn't it? Yeah, good. Uh, so Isaiah 7 actually tells us of a time of crisis in Israel. You know how much I love maps. I'm going to share with you a map. Maps are great. So, about 922 BC, Israel split in half and the 10 tribes of the north, uh, well, there were 12 tribes, 10 of those tribes went north and that's often called Ephraim. So, you can see here, there's Israel up here, 10 tribes up there and Israel is often called Ephraim and we see that in Isaiah 7 in a moment. Down here is Judah. Now, Judah, those other two tribes were the south, okay? And that happened in 922 BC. They split. And so, and, and when you read Jerusalem, that's the capital of the south, it's often, it's either called Judah or Jerusalem. It means sort of the same area, same thing. And then there's the nasty neighbour. Uh, well, it's actually called Syria and Damascus is the uh, capital. It's also called Aram, A-R-A-M. Why everything gets two names? Well, there's reasons for it, actually. We won't go into them right now. But... Now, Syria and Ephraim, that's Israel, the northern tribes, they formed an alliance to have a go at Judah, King Ahaz. Now, 7 verse 1 tells us, have a look at 7 1 tells us that they couldn't overcome Judah at their first try. See that? So, understandably then, King Ahaz, well, he was, he was deeply concerned that Ephraim and Aram, or Syria, are going, to have an, are going to have another crack at them. They're going to have another go to try to take out Judah and expand their territory. So Ahaz is worried. King, he's worried. But God promises Ahaz 
Judah. He promises them Ahaz redemption, uh, rescue, hope. And he says to Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah, and this is in verse 7, so have a look at verse 7 with me. He says to Ahaz, it will not take place. It won't take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram, Syria, is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only Rezin. We don't know much about this guy, Rezin, but obviously he wasn't much shot, was he? Uh, then there's, and then uh, halfway through verse 8, within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. That's exactly what happens. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. Well, he doesn't get a good rap either, does he? Only Remaliah, that guy. Pfft, what are you worried about? And he says, at the end of verse 9, if you do not stand firm in the, your faith, you will not stand at all. Now let's keep reading. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. See what God says there? He says, trust me. In fact, ask for a sign. I'll show you, I'll prove it to you that I'll keep you safe, that I'll defend you, I'll rescue you, I'll redeem you. I'll prove it. Ask for a sign. But not Ahaz. No, 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 Ahaz. He puts on this fake piety. Oh, not me, I'm too holy for that. No, 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 no. And look at verse, verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to, te- to the test. You see what's happening? That's classic sinfulness, isn't it? Addicted to his illusion of control and competence. And before you go too hard on Ahaz, what a loser. Well, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there and said, God, I've got this. I don't need you. We've all said that. And that's what King Ahaz says. You see, when life is hard uh, or when God runs late, interesting expression, isn't it? When God runs late, see, we get impatient. Our fears and our, our resourcefulness sort of takes over. I can do it myself. I don't need you, God. And friends, that self-sufficiency never works out well. Well, Verse 13, then Isaiah speaks. Isaiah says, basically, you fools, you fools, what are you doing? Hear now, you house of David. That's another name for the south. That's another name for for Judah. Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? I think he's talking about himself there. Ahaz is trying the patience of Isaiah. But then he says, will you, not try the, will you try the patience of my God also? You fools, what are you doing? Okay, now here comes the therefore. So the therefore in verse 14, as a result of their faithlessness, God says, therefore the Lord, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He'll be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread, remember them? Ephraim, Syria, will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike since Ephraim broke away from Judah. That was the 922 split. He will bring who? The king of Assyria. Now he's not on the map, but the king of Assyria totally 
uh, wiped out Israel uh, a short time later. So yes, there's hope, isn't there? There's this sun, a sun, a future. And we learn more about that hope in a few minutes' time, so stay with me. But first, because of Ahaz's lack of trust, there's judgment. Assyria was coming. Both Israel and Syria would be laid waste. And in verse 17, well, Judah would feel the lash as well of God's judgment. Now, Isaiah continues to record God's approach to his rebellious people in the northern kingdom of Israel. That's the direction the book of Isaiah keeps going. It sort of focuses on the north. Now, in Isaiah 8, verses 5 to 8, we don't have to look this one up, but we will look up something up in a moment. Isaiah 8, 5 to 8, the Lord warns of water sweeping over Israel. It's a, it's a sign of judgment over Israel and threatening the nation of Judah too. God's people have God with them, that's true, Emmanuel, but their sinfulness disqualifies them from blessing. The sin needs to be dealt with. You see, in the historical context, God with us was bad news as long as sin remained. Though committed to doing his chosen people good, God's history with Israel and the nations demonstrates the way sin undermines his good plans and makes God with us bad news. Well, fortunately, Isaiah's prophecy moves from judgment to salvation, from punishment to pardon. There's hope. There's good news. Now, let's flick over to Isaiah 9. Probably a couple pages in your Bible, uh, or one mind pretty much. Isaiah 9. In Isaiah 9, the son of Isaiah 7 verse 14 is explained to be a righteous son, a descendant of King David, uh, who will bring light into the darkness. That's in verses 1 and 2 in Isaiah 9. And peace to the earth, Isaiah 6 and 7. Oh, sorry, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Let's read Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 now and hear about this peace that will come through this son. For to us a child is born. And I recognise some of this. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his, of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. This is no ordinary king. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The rest of Isaiah's gospel, the rest of Isaiah, then explains how this peace will come about. I wonder, is it world peace? What sort of peace is it? Well, let's, let's find out. It comes about through the suffering servant and his atoning sacrifice. So, if you've got a Bible there, flip over to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, and we'll look at verses 5 and 6. All right. Now, there is an opportunity here for some involvement. I'll leave that to you. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
<laughs> Thank you. We had a bit of Colin already, didn't we? What a great, what a great ministry Colin's had for us, eh? Singing ba 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 In other words, what do we see here? How does this peace come about? It comes about through the Son and through the Son giving his life for our sin, our iniquity of us all. In other words, the, the bad news for ancient Israel becomes good news for the world, Israel and the nations. When God sends Emmanuel, Jesus, into the world, for the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Sing it. <laughs> That's it. Isn't that good? That's good news. That's the good news of Christmas. And there it is. So let's go over to Matthew chapter 1 then and see how Matthew chapter Matthew puts all this together with us. So Matthew chapter 1, so flip over to Matthew's uh, gospel. That's the first book of the New Testament. Matthew 1. And it is striking. I love it. I love it how the Bible makes sense. It's not some random book. Here the Bible makes sense and it's all put together and it's all about Jesus. It's striking to see how Matthew's got, Matthew explains the fulfilment of Isaiah 7.14. Something that was written, well, probably about, probably about six, uh, 400 years before Jesus. Look at Matthew 1.22. Notice the first word uh, of Matthew 1 verse 22, the first two words, all this. All this, and he's just explained the birth of, of Jesus and so forth, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said by the prophet Isaiah. Now, the all this points back to three actions of Isaiah 7.14. What were those again, you ask? Let me remind you. Conceiving, giving birth, and given a name. The name he was to be called. And all these things are now drawn out in the Christmas story, in the narrative of Matthew 1, well, what Ruth read before, 18 to 25. For example, in verse 18, the son is conceived in Mary's womb by the power of the Holy Spirit. Matthew wants to show us that these verses, that Jesus has fulfilled what was promised from way back in Isaiah. Uh, verses 19 to 20 of Matthew 1. God's angel appears to Joseph and explains how he, as a son or descendant of David, would become the adoptive father of Jesus. Mary, and his, Mary, his wife, would give birth to Jesus. So Joseph's, let's call it Davidic heritage. That means he's a son, he's a descendant of King David, Joseph is. So Joseph's Davidic heritage, descendant of David, is highlighted to stress his this heritage, this ancestry, uh, and the ancestry of Jesus. It fulfills the Old Testament promise. And you might remember Isaiah 9. Then the name of the Son is given. Have a look at Matthew 1.21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Okay, so there's lots in that, isn't there? Hope you're still with me. I think it's pretty exciting, but you had to concentrate. I did warn you. I did promise I warned you. So let, let's, if you've been switched on and following, you might have noticed something, though. It might make you a bit uncomfortable. And I don't want to make you uncomfortable. Well, actually, I do a little bit, but it's all right. Um, because you might have noticed the name that the Son is given, Jesus, doesn't exactly match the prophecy. How could it fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 7.14 if the name doesn't match? It's a bit of a problem, isn't it? See, Isaiah 7.14 says his name would be Emmanuel, but that's not the name he's given. Instead, his name is Jesus, which is 
In Hebrew, Yahweh saves, or Yeshua. Yahweh saves, um, God saves. So there's a difference. There's a discrepancy. Was it a typo? I forget. People forget names all the time, don't they? You know, parents, what's that? What you again? What's your, you're the, you're the dog? No, no, you're the youngest. Uh, anyway. Um, well, the answer is found in what we've already seen. See, God with us is only good news if God comes to deal with our sin. Remember that? Had Mary's son been called Emmanuel, it would have left a question mark behind God with us. The name Jesus puts an exclamation mark there. As verse 21 says, you would have given the name Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. See, his name is not a title like reverend or doctor. No, it's a job description. This is what he came to do, save his people from their sins. Let's tie a few things together. Let's go back to JP, my enormous rugby player I coached back in the 90s. Now, it was good to have him on the team. Oh, fantastic. Good to have him with us, part of the team and all. But it was more than that. He was not just with us, he was for us as he swatted away prepubescent 12 and 13-year-olds. Um, so yes, Jesus is God with us, but he's more than that. He is God for us. Had Jesus come and taken the name Emmanuel, well, Matthew's fulfilment form- formula oh, might have been more exact. Got it spot on. Good job, Matthew. But I tell you, it would have been ambiguous. We would have been asked, the people would have been asking, oh, has, has Jesus come to save or has Jesus come to judge? But by taking the name Jesus, God gave the answer to the people's prayers. What he had promised long ago through Isaiah the prophet was now being fulfilled in the birth of a virgin son. This son would bring salvation not only to Israel but to all the nations, all people, anyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus can be saved. Jesus would grow up to be that suffering servant who would give his life as a ransom for many. I put these verses on the back of your outline. Matthew 20, verse 28. He would shed blood on the cross to confirm a new covenant, which means a promise, therefore securing forgiveness to all who believe in him. And he would gather his disciples from every nation on the earth. Matthew 28, verse 19. Uniting them in his church so he could dwell with us forever. I'll never leave you or forsake you, he said to his disciples. See, in this way, God is with us, Emmanuel, because he sent Jesus to give his life for us. So, Christmas time, coming real soon. Uh, we sing, uh, and isn't it great we can sing? <laughs> it's good. We're going to sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We've got to make sure we do that, do that carol now, haven't we? Uh, <laughs> let's not confuse Jesus' coming, say, with the arrival of Santa Claus. God does not come to dwell with us because we've been good. No, no, he comes to dwell with us because he is good. And in his goodness, he sent Jesus for us to ransom us from captivity to sin and make us ready to dwell with him both now and forever. No wonder the angel called the coming of Jesus good news. It is good news. And let's pray as it was for the shepherds in Luke 2. We didn't read that but that this good news will be a cause of great joy for us today. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for um, 
Oh, so much tonight, Lord. We thank you that your word in the Bible isn't just some random book, uh, but it makes sense. The puzzle pieces come together. And it's such a privilege to, to hear that tonight, I think. Uh, Lord, we, we pray that as Christmas comes, we remember the good news of the gospel, that Lord God, Lord God you sent Jesus uh, to die for us, to take on the iniquity of us all, so that we can know you and be friends with you. Father, we thank you for, 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 for loving us so much. Uh, may we find great joy in the good news of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us and God for us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.